It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Welcome again to Know Thy Legal Rights. Know your legal rights, the purpose of this program, so that you can protect your assets when you're alive and when you're deceased. I'm sitting with Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome to the show. Welcome to your show. And I'm, I'm glad we're going to talk about this topic because last week we touched upon it, and but we didn't get too deep, and it just seems like uh, there is a need to go deeper, wider, longer on this topic of size of estates, and it doesn't matter how big or how small yours is, you need a plan. Right. But sometimes people don't have plans. Mm-hmm. Like Prince. Like Prince that we talked about last Aretha. week's show. Yeah, Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. Everybody fighting all the heirs fighting. And, um, you know, you could do something about it. And one of the questions I think you said was, you know, what happens? Does everybody need a will or trust? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, we always recommend that they do something so they could do a plan the way they want. Mm-hmm. Can you answer that for me already now? Why wouldn't you need a plan, a will or a trust? Give well, me an ex- situation. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes they have a really small estate. Okay. And they rent their apartment. Yeah, and, and the amount could, and let's say everybody was healthy and there wasn't any issues mm-hmm. with any beneficiary. Uh, sometimes, but you might be able to get around things uh, without planning. It's not recommended. It's risky. Because, yeah, it is. I mean, because even if you have nothing today doesn't mean that you will have nothing tomorrow. And that it, person could change. Uh, the air could change. They could be lying and not really telling the truth. Yeah, it, it could be any number of things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's better to plan, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, than not to plan. Mm-hmm. Because uh, even, even if you – it's possible that you could get in a personal injury accident. Mm. And then all of a sudden, even if you had nothing right now, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Or you might inherit from somebody else that you weren't expecting. Um, so anything could happen. Mm-hmm. But the law does provide if you have a smaller estate, and this varies from state to state I'm out at, in Texas, if you don't have a will, and if you um, – uh, and if you haven't tried to go to court within 30 days um, – to try to have somebody appointed to represent the estate, then, and if your assets are less than seventy-five thousand in Texas, okay, then you could get this affidavit, where you have all the people who are disinterested. I mean, excuse me, the, the people who are interested. In other words, whoever the closest relatives are, say what the relationship is. It's kind of like telling the family history in this affidavit. So-and-so was born on this date, they died on this date, and they had these three kids whose date of birth or whatever. Identify all the assets and liabilities, if there are any liabilities. And um, you'll have to sign all, all the 
people who would be heirs would have to sign this affidavit, as well as two disinterested people. Mm-hmm. So if you had um, an estate of $70,000, then you could do that, even if you, assuming you had no will, uh, then you could do that and get a court order without even going to court, I might add. Oh. You could just uh, submit that information. The, of course, the courts review it and see if it fits the law, and if so, they will sign an order. So let's say you have this bank account, whatever it is, whether it's 10000 or 70000 to give the authority for the bank to release the funds to the person uh, or the, the beneficiaries. I say beneficiaries really heirs um, as a matter of law. I see. Yeah. So it could be – so a lot of times on small estates, that's what you do um, because – it's simpler, and you need to have the authority. A lot of times the banks say, we're not going to release funds without a court order. Now, sometimes it's some if it's a really small amount, really small, generally less than $5,000 or something like that, some institutions will rely upon an affidavit of heirship. H, that's with heirship. is spelled H-E-I-R-S-H-I-P. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, you, you again, fit, tell the family history – uh, again, signed by two disinterested witnesses, and sometimes if it's small enough, the financial institution will uh, allow the assets to go to the, those people who are the heirs. Uh, it should be mentioned, however, also rather, that even if you have a home, a home, you could do that with a title companies don't give a problem if there's no debts owed by the estate. You could do an affidavit of heirship to transfer the property, let's say, from one spouse to another. Uh, but there are some problems with that. Some title companies, um, first of all, they say, well, if there's going to be creditors, they'll come out in the first year or two. So sometimes they uh, will make you wait for a year or two before they will recognize the affidavit of heirship uh, so that you could sell the home. So if mm-hmm. you want to sell the home quicker, then – at least with some title companies, you may have to probate. Um, and that could be much simpler. Sometimes it's simple and sometimes it's hard. Right. There's a couple different ways to probate. But usually they will accept an affidavit of heirship, and that's um, obviously a lot cheaper than going to court. Mm-hmm. Now you might say, well, I thought that if we're married that the home automatically goes to my spouse. Right. That's not true. You have to ask questions, and the questions are, um, do you have children from did the deceased have children from a prior marriage? Mm. If so, that, that home, your homestead, uh, generally could be split between the surviving spouse and that person who died's heirs. So, so a lot of times if it's a second marriage, you'll need to probate the will so, because the will often says all to my spouse, and that way, if you probate the will, then there shouldn't be the issue with the other children. Mm-hmm. Unless there was things like undue influence or duress or lack of mental capacity, the equitable arguments that sometimes people make when there is a will contest. Okay. Yeah. So, so you could. So there are different things you could do if even if the estate is small, which is a good thing. It used to be fifty thousand for a long period of time, and of course, as things go up, um, you know, our figure. So the statue that I just said, you know, who knows when it'll be a hundred thousand uh, dollars. So, but stay tuned. Now you can't 
uh, have gone to, you know, we talked about the determination of airship or have a, a representative appointed. If you had done that already with, within that time frame that we mentioned before, then uh, you could not do the small states affidavit in order uh, if you did get somebody like that. Okay. Uh, the so um, so there is you know so sometimes if you don't have a will it's, you can get around things without even having to go to court so that's a good thing okay. uh, but there's these rules and you just have to follow the rules and is probate a bad thing um, and I'm not sure everybody even knows what probate means yeah uh, you're absolutely right and I probably should have said that probate again is the process to say let's say you have a will. That gets that says the will is good, so that the executor could transfer the title of the assets to the beneficiaries. So it means verify. verify yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, so you have to say that the will's good. A lot of times, wills aren't good. We've talked on prior shows mm-hmm. where um, we had one, I think, about last month or two ago, where we talked about where the uh, attorney's wife signed as both as a as a witness and as a notary. Okay. So she's notarizing her own signature. Wow. I say, well, gee, that that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you'll see that uh, they don't say that you have the power to sell the property, the power to sell the property in your will. Uh, if that's often a problem because then you may have to get authority from the, um, let's say, uh, the court to be able to sell something. So there's different things you should have in wills, but a lot of times – um, and if you, if the notary doesn't fill out things or stamp things or or if the witness didn't make a mistake or you know maybe there was a, they didn't it could be any number of things sure uh, if you don't say that the executor is independent then um, then uh, then you know you may have to get court supervision anyway so the probate could be easy or it could be hard mm-hmm. uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago where the person uh, did not there wasn't an administrator appointed. Um, and so they had to give all, everybody had to agree, children from the first marriage with the second spouse to be able to have her appointed as administrator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those things, you know, they don't always work out if, if people don't agree. Mm-hmm. And the more people there are, the more, you know, it's just like on that Prince situation, the more people there are, the more likely there's going to be a problem. Right. So, um, but anyway, there are some ways to get around the, uh, small issue, small states issue. It's still a better idea to have a will. And you know, when they when they think about uh, in the statute on the small states affidavit, um, a home could be excluded in addition to that seventy five thousand if it was still a home after that person died. So if they had a surviving spouse, it may not be an issue. Mm-hmm. However, if it wasn't somebody's homestead, let's say it was just children who lived someplace else. Uh, then the house would not be excluded because yeah. it's no longer that person's home. I see. After they die. Wow. So it has to. Be, it could be tricky. Uh, very tricky, and and that's the whole point of every program. There's all kinds of trickery going on in the world, whether it's the government trying to trick you, or um, a neighbor trying to trick you, or a family member, or a friend, an employee. Who knows? Um, and the goal is, is to see the trickery and prevent it, so you don't get burned today. Or later and the way to do that is clearly to attend Michael's next workshop that is on May the 23rd Michael's been doing these workshops for how long now five or ten years uh, let's see uh, seven and a half years seven and a half years so he's done a lot I mean that's that's how many a year 15 or 20 a year yeah so we, he's done we do, at least yeah we, we do them every three weeks okay 
So he's done maybe a couple hundred workshops. So he does this in his sleep. Does your wife know you do this in your sleep? Do you, do you do the workshops literally in your sleep? She thinks I just snore. Huh? <laughs> just snore, okay. He can't do it in his sleep because he's snoring so loudly. But all getting aside, um, again, as Michael has said, uh, you shouldn't assume anything. That's the whole point. Just attend the workshop to see if you even need an estate plan. Just like Michael said, the first 10 or 15 minutes of this program. And the way to do it is to go to the one on May 23rd. And Michael, tell them what they get to experience at the workshop. We ask people what they want to know. Uh-huh. It could be about wills. It could be about trust. It could be about powers of attorney. It could be about um, planning for public benefits like Medicaid or veterans benefits. Those laws always change. Uh, it's whatever you want to know about. It could be about trustees. It could be about – we never know from workshop to workshop uh, what people are going to ask because – Every everybody's different, right? And so they have questions that they want to know, and you know, of course, it's free. So we write down the questions we ask at the beginning of the workshop. What do you want to know? And I write it on a board, and then then that next two hours, I'll explain whatever it is the answer that uh, has been posed, and of course, there's dialogue throughout the uh, whole workshop. It's not a talking head. It's you know, you just talk and say, okay, well, what if X and what if Y? And then I'll just say whatever the options are. And if we need to go further, uh, then because a lot of times after the two hours of free estate planning essentials that they may be learning about, they um, we give a free one-hour vision meeting to them so that, that we could go into their own situation in more detail if they would like. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of, or some of the beauty of uh, these workshops is that they're exactly that. They're not seminars where you're just having information rammed down your throat and you just have to listen for two or three hours, which can be tedious and exhausting at times. It's interaction between Michael and all the attendees. And you will certainly listen to their story, their question, and internalize and apply it to your circumstances. And so you'll be constantly involved and, and constantly stimulated by what you hear. Um, so that's very good. You also get free coffee. You get free cookies. The coffee's in a KAAM coffee mug, which is free. Everyone gets that, right? Do they still get those? They still get that, along okay. with the chip clips and pens, too. That's right, the chip clips and pens. We forgot those in the last program. So there's a lot to give away. Uh, but most importantly is this free advice that Michael gives you in both the workshop and the vision meeting. Yeah, and if you are interested in attending that free estate planning essentials um, mm-hmm. workshop, all you have to do is call 214 720 0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com, which we also have podcasts of, of these shows on anything if you think that there's a particular topic of interest uh, in addition to uh, our newsletters, which we write articles every month uh, about newer things. Uh, I remember we talked uh, about the changes and various changes in the law uh, in our uh, la- one of our shows uh, in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we address some of those issues in our May newsletter. So in any event, it's whatever people want to know. We try to address it in that two hours of free estate planning essentials. Excellent. Thursday at 1 o'clock on May the 23rd. Tell them where you're located as well. We're located, if you, if you know where Medical City Hospital is, it's right to the north of that, okay. which is um, uh, Forest near Central mm-hmm. uh, area between, LB, between LBJ and Forest. Okay, you out-of-towners who use numbers, it's the intersection of 635 and 75, if that helps you also. 
So, Michael, um, uh, some more about small estates. Now that we've covered the one category, those that don't reach that threshold, what about those who do reach the threshold where you would strongly admonish them to have some kind of plan, whether it's a will, trust, or all the above? You know, everybody's situation is different. Mm-hmm. So some people we recommend wills and some people we recommend trust. And it really and it's not based upon the amount of assets. At least it isn't for me, although we have to take cake into consideration uh, when you have a trust because uh, that what the assets may be mm-hmm. at some point on certain things. Okay. It just depends on the factual situation. But uh, obviously the benefit of a trust versus a will uh, are many. Um, uh, although a lot of attorneys would say just do a simple will or whatever, and that may be and, and that may be the right answer, and it may not be. Um, with a will, you have to go by the state's laws. With a will, there's not the privacy because your will is uh, a matter of public record. And with a will, it may be that you have an inventory, which also might be a public record. Mm. Uh, with the will, you, uh, now you have to go through the process, and there could be problems in the process, and you have to go by the state's laws, as we said, so that could delay the process of transferring assets, which is what the idea of probate is. Can I ask you about the will accessibility? Can someone get it online and be in Russia and look at it? Do they have to drive all the way down to the courthouse and take a peek themselves that no, way? No, you can see it. It's, it's a matter of public record. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah. anyone can see whatever you have mm-hmm. in your will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a matter of public record. So interesting. Um, there's a where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, right. I guess so. <laughs> especially these days. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, that, and so that privacy issue. Yeah. So now, you know, the will you have to give the original will to the court. Mm-hmm. On inventories, sometimes if all the debts have been paid, you could do what they call an affidavit in lieu of inventory. Mm-hmm. Still might do an inventory, but you might not be uh, online. Uh, because it's, you're having it to keep that privacy. So there has been advances in that respect. Okay. Uh, but there's lots of reasons. Um, you know, sometimes there's public benefits reasons for having a certain type of will. Sometimes you have, like, special needs trust for a spouse. If that um, spouse um, uh, was disabled, then you could protect the assets if you didn't have adequate long-term care insurance. In some states... Um, if you you might get these tax advantages, if let's say you have a family farm and they have certain benefits, if it's in your own name, if you changed it to a trust, it could be that there was more. Um, uh, you might lose that taxation benefit. So you have to look from state to state to see what the story is. And Texas, it's generally. Um, uh, you know, you could do things either way. Usually if you were in California, and I'm not giving uh, legal advice in California, but, you know, most people in California would have trust because uh, going just through the probate system takes a couple of years at least. Wow. The courts are clogged. Mm-hmm. And so if you want, if you really love your loved ones, most people probably in California uh, have living trust. Now, there's all sorts of different types of trust. So just don't think of living trust as the answer. Uh, a lot of times we protect uh, with trust in various ways. Not only do we have some of those other issues that we just discussed, privacy and having things the way you want mm-hmm. quicker, um, 
and, and, and if you have property out of state, not having to probate in two different states. If you have an ongoing business, it, you don't have any delay. So there's lots of different reasons for having a trust. Uh, but there's also um, – that's a, a typical revocable living trust. So another one's where you're total control. But there are all types of different types of trust. A lot of times we'll plan for Medicaid if somebody has inadequate assets, income, or long-term care insurance to protect their assets so that their loved ones could be in control. And we do it with in a way where there's no uh, effect tax-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, also for veterans' benefits, we might plan for veterans' benefits by doing things in a certain way. I was talking to somebody last night, and they had a, a loved one who was in a uh, assisted living facility, and they got on VA benefits. And I was saying to them, they, I asked them, well, did they plan on selling their home? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, you realize that if you sell your home, that now all of a sudden, in all likelihood, uh, there, if, if your assets are greater than a certain limit, $127,061, but who's counting, mm-hmm. uh, that you will lose that VA benefit, and they'll ask, and also they'll ask for all their money back. But if you had put the asset, the home, in a trust in a way that it wasn't affecting you tax-wise, that benefit would have continued and there would not be any repayment. Nice. So so the trust that you do for VA, though, is different for Veterans Administration. is mm-hmm. different than the type of trust generally that you would do for Medicaid. Okay. Now, you might say, why would I even have a trust before? Because sometimes there's... Um, for VA, since the home was exempt uh, to begin with, they allow you to create a trust uh, because it was exempt before. If it didn't create any eligibility, though, like you make a transfer to an irrevocable trust. Mm-hmm. For Medicaid, however, um, there is a five-year look-back period. VA normally has a three-year look-back period, but if it's an exception, then uh, but if, even though a home doesn't count for Medicaid, they would say it's a transfer subject to a five-year luck-back period uh, unless the um, – if it was put into a trust, but you could do things where you could undo things, okay? All right. So, for example, we had somebody who had their major asset was a home, and they wanted to put it into a form of a trust where they had elements of control, like the right to occupy the property. Mm-hmm. So for tax purposes, it was still um, the person who – establish the trust. For Medicaid, uh, it, it wouldn't count as a transfer subject to a five-year look-back. In other words, if something bad happened within mm-hmm. five years. Good. And, of course, since it was in a trust, even if you sold the property, then it's um, the proceeds are in the trust, and so it wouldn't be counted as an asset for Medicaid. Okay. Now, we had somebody, though, well, I was going to say that put their home in, in that trust thinking that Mom was thinking, well, I, you know, I'll probably be okay for five years, but three years later, she has to go into a nursing home. Mm-hmm. What we do is we gave the trust gave the property right back to her, that so right? that ended the penalty. And then, so now we had the the freedom to sell the property if we wanted to without adverse taxation, right. and have the money in a pot, or that being the trust. Or in this case, we gave it back, and how do we protect the home? Because the state goes after the home after death, even though it's an exempt resource, to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced by doing a what we call a ladybird deed, or you could do a transfer on death deed, uh, where you still have all this control, but still in your name basically for life, and then upon your death, the property goes to your loved ones. Uh, of course, the problem with with that is laws could change in the future, but it's been working for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. Excellent strategy. Um, So, and are there any uh, 
negative effects than to putting the home in the trust? Is there any? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and, uh, put, uh, and, well, yes. It, 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 in which type of trust, I guess. Uh-huh. If you put it into a revocable trust for Medicaid, then e- even though this seems kind of strange according to, um, you know, IRS rules, if you put the home in a, tr- in a revocable living trust, uh-huh. it counts as an asset okay. would jeopardize Medicaid. Revocable, okay. Uh, if it was a revocable trust. If it's irrevocable, it's been transferred, and so it's considered a transfer, getting a five-year clock running. Okay. But even if you get a five-year clock running, you can undo things. Mm-hmm. So then you have the benefit of no uh, being tax neutral and um, and and having some flexibility to sell property if you, if that was a desire. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what we were talking about on VA, all the, t- the type of trust is a little bit different. Uh, so, uh, you know, so it should be noted that when, when from a planner's perspective, you look at a lot of different things. One of the things you look at is who do you want to be taxed? Who do you want, who do you want taxed? Is it the person who's taking the action? So if it's the grantor of a trust or trustor or settlor, as they call it, uh, do we want the uh, beneficiaries to be taxed, or do we want the trust to be taxed? Right. And so when we figure out what it is that is best, the best taxation, in addition to what's important to the family, then we create whatever document that's uh, best for that family. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Excellent so, advice. Go ahead. Excuse me. Yeah, so in other words, for example, uh, let's say you had already made a gift but you, there was highly appreciated property. You made a gift to the child, mm-hmm. and you wanted to uh, have it go back in your estate. You could have that person that you gave, the, let's say, who created an, a new trust, let's say, child. Mm-hmm. They could have this power. The the person who made the original gift could have the power to have, bring it back in his own estate So if, if for tax reasons. Or you could create a trust where they have the power to change their beneficiaries. And uh, uh, when you have that type of power, the IRS says it's still yours. So you could do things uh, from a tax perspective in addition to knowing the rules regarding uh, Medicaid or VA or whatever the situation is. And so it could be that you're looking at issues, whether it's what are the laws of that state? Is there something with taxes or what be whether it be property taxes or maybe state or state state taxes state income taxes but in texas uh, we don't have that issue um so we look at those type of things is there public benefits is there what is it whatever your issue is and of course there's trust within a trust that you can create if you have a child that's either disabled or has credit issues or has marital issues you Mm -hmm. want things to stay in the family Mm -hmm. so it's all part all it is is what's important to you Right. And I'm pretty sure Michael will be able to claim that he's never seen the same trust or the same estate plan twice. They're all very different. They're all tailored based on your needs, your desires, and your plans while you're alive and when you're deceased. To make certain that you have exactly what you want in both of those scenarios, go to Michael's next workshop on Thursday, May the 23rd at 1 o'clock. Dial 214-720-0102 or 214-720-0102. Or DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. You can sign up online in addition to calling that 214-720-0102 telephone number. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you. When we declare doing it your way, as Christians, such is actually and should always be God's way. 
It's imperative that our planning includes implementing indisputable biblical principles, such as leaving a financial gift for your church from your estate. Not doing so would certainly be considered poor stewardship, which no believer wants to be held accountable for. So call Michael Cohen's office to sign up for the next Essential Estate Planning Workshop to ensure your estate is in complete Christian accordance today. Dial 214-720-0102. 214-720-0102. And be certain to listen to Michael Cohen right here on 770 KAAM. 